Indeed, we invite God to come and fill our hearts this morning. And this morning, I have one question for you, O church. When you are scared, who do you turn to? Or, in four words or less, who's your golden calf? Whoever you are, when you hear this reading in Exodus, I'm guessing there's no way that you don't zoom in on that part about the golden calf. I mean, how often do we read Holy Scripture and learn about the statue, the statue of a golden cow, and that the people we often refer to as our faith ancestors are literally dancing and partying around it? We have right here in the beginning of our reading this morning, this is Exodus 32, verses 4 through 6. We learn Aaron took gold from them, the Israelites. He formed it in a mold and cast an image of a calf. They, the Israelites, rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to revel. So no pun intended, truly, but this morning I'm just going to take the bull by the horns and jump on into this. I'm glad you got that. It really wasn't intended. Yes, here in Holy Scripture, we meet the Israelites again well after their emancipation from Egyptian slavery. They have been journeying many days and nights through the Sinai Desert, often hungry, thirsty, without direction. There has been infighting, and there have been miracles. Very likely there was birth, and there was death, and holy moments, and dark days. Sounding a lot like life to me. Specifically in our reading this morning, Moses is away on a mountaintop, presumably with God, doing some such holy thing, And we encounter the Israelites feeling a little lost and a whole lot frustrated. We don't meet the Israelites dutifully being patient with God and with Moses and thankful for the food and the water that they've received. Not at all. In fact, in this passage, we meet our ancestors worshiping bovine statues and offering burnt sacrifice. That's what they're doing. And we encounter our ancestors engaged in some very serious partying. In today's terms, this one sounds like an all-night rave in the desert where likely shirt and shoes are optional. I think it's pretty easy to read these verses and write the Israelites off as impatient and ungrateful. These people who God freed from slavery, he freed them from generations of oppression She saved them from a horrible death by drowning in the waters of the Red Sea. These people, they're mostly complaining, and they're very rarely offering thanks. So yes, it's hard, not hard, to look at this passage and judge them as ungrateful and impatient. But this morning, I would challenge us to let go of quick judgment and to go deeper into this reading. Instead of seeking or looking to our difference, 
I would suggest let's work to seek out some commonalities with the Israelites, our forebears in the faith. And when we work to do this, what I see and what I hear is a people bereft of their leader. What I hear is a people who, without Moses, felt without God, without God's blessing. And as I push that understanding a little further, what I see is an Israel that was scared and likely felt alone, forgotten, maybe even abandoned by their God. And church, if you have ever been in a similar place, and as one of your pastors, I know many of you have, alone, feeling abandoned by God, lost. That's a pretty scary place to be. With that in our mind and in our hearts, this shifts how we understand the Israelites' action here. It's not necessarily an action of a people with a short memory of what God has done for them. It is not necessarily from a place of ingratitude or impatience that the Israelites act as they do. Rather, I would have us see the Israelites acting from a place of deeply unsettling fear and out of a feeling of being forgotten or abandoned by the very God who they gave their all to. They left everything, everything they knew. They left it all and went on faith out into the desert. And now... They feel forgotten and alone. It is from this place of fear that the Israelites turn to a new God, the golden calf, the shiny, tangible, hands-on sort of God. One biblical scholar describes it this way. For 40 days and 40 nights, Israel is without Moses and without access to God. They are so anxious for Moses' return that they seize an initiative of their own to have access to God without reference to Moses and his scruples. And this, this seems very real to me, a little all too real. It was a year ago this past spring when I received a quiet phone call from my lead pastor, from our previous lead pastor and partner in church leadership, the Reverend Mark Ulrichson. I was at the tail end of my sinus surgery recovery, about to return to church work in a few days. And on that phone call, my lead pastor shared that he had been diagnosed with a blood cancer and was in the hospital as we spoke, awaiting further diagnosis. It was shocking. It was scary. It was deeply sad. My own mother had died of a similar cancer just three years prior to that call. Feelings of shock and a deep feeling of falling. I just felt on the phone like I was falling. It washed over me. As I had some some feeling or some knowledge of what he and his family and we, his church family, were in for. And it was scary, to say the least. In the following months, I can share that I had some dark nights. I had some scary times of feeling bereft without my leader, 
some frightening episodes of feeling lost. Often I felt like a lost sheep. Often I felt like a lost sheep trying to step into the shoes of someone or something that I wasn't. And I know that in this feeling of being lost and uh, feeling abandoned, I look now and I see that I relied on my golden calf. I see now that I made one of my very own. How do I know this? Well, I know that I didn't turn to prayer nearly enough. I confess that I didn't turn to, oh, I lost my place. Oh, shoot. Okay, hang on. I'm so sorry, you guys. Thank you for your grace. Okay. Here we go. I didn't rely on the support network that God had blessed and continues to bless me with. I didn't rely on Jesus. That much I do know. And as I processed this preparing the sermon, as I processed with you this morning, I see myself as one of those lost Israelites in that time, without Moses. I think I can see my shiny, handcrafted golden calf before me in all its glory. It's me and my shiny need to please. As I reflect back on this time, I see myself running and running and running. I returned to work two days before I had intended from my surgery. I dove into whatever needed to be done. I attended meetings. I answered calls. I fired off emails. I preached. I led the in. I kept folks in the know, communicating what we knew. I offered pastoral care for the office staff and for you, my church. I ran and I ran and I ran out of my own unsettledness and fear. I turned away from my spiritual disciplines and I turned away from other disciples that draw me closer to God. And I turned to that little golden calf of me, that golden calf that tells me I can do it all, that I can be everything to all people. And I will also say that my golden calf during this time gave me comfort. It gave me something to do, somehow to act, some way to respond to this heartbreaking diagnosis in the midst of a friend and colleague's life. And I share this, I confess this to you, not necessarily as a way for you to connect to me. You may empathize with my journey. And that's awesome. I share this as an example to help you, O church, uncover what your golden calf might be. Because while there is much that separates us from the Israelites in this story, it's not an easy one to dive into. At the heart of it, we are deeply connected to these ancestors of ours. I don't believe I could be wrong. I don't believe there's anyone in our church who hasn't worshipped a golden calf. Whether of your own making, like mine, or directly from a distillery, or it sits in your wallet, 
or on the AYSO field, it is human, it is real, to seek out an immediate and powerful salve in the face of loneliness and pain, in the face of a lack of clear direction in life. I'll share with you one theologian who describes this urge in all of us to separate ourselves from a loving God that sometimes feels so far away. The scholar writes, This is Israel's most foundational waywardness. The great sin here is to substitute an available, produced God for the sovereign one who is not immediately available and who is not made with hands. When I'm scared, when I feel indescribably alone, when I feel bereft, I can turn to my golden calf of me and I can start running. I can turn away from God and the community that God has blessed me with. I can turn away from the power of prayer and holy Sabbath and the difficult but life-changing path of discipleship with a small group. And just like my Israelite brothers and sisters, I can turn right to a handmade creation of God one that I can touch and control and manipulate, one that can give me immediate response and approbation and satisfaction. That's who I am. That's who we are. Maybe when times get tough, you turn to the golden calf of money. You play the markets or you shop online. Maybe you worship at the altar of your children and everything that you do is about them and their achievements. Maybe you isolate yourself from those who care about you. Maybe you drink or gamble. Maybe, maybe you work all the time. We all get scared. We all seek comfort in the immediate. That is who we are. And yet, that is not all of who we are. That is simply, O oh church, not all of who God made us to be. God made us for a full and loving, and God bless you, whole life. Thank you for your grace. Let me say that again. God made us, you and I, and every single child of God for a full and loving and whole life. I can't experience that wholeness when I worship at the altar of me and I'm running all the time. I can't experience that wholeness when I let go of the disciplines of prayer and Sabbath and reaching out to my small group and the community who will lift me up when I am scared and I am alone. I can't experience that wholeness when I trust in myself and my golden calf more than I trust in our loving and forgiving God who made me and the servanthood ways of his son, Jesus the Christ. I can't experience that wholeness when my soul is full of the golden calf and there's simply no room for God. God made you and I, all of us, for a full and loving and whole life. O oh, church, when you are scared, when you are scared, 
Who do you turn to? Who's your golden calf? I'm going to offer you some time to prayerfully consider who or what your golden calf may be. You were each given a little, I think ahead sometimes, a little post-it note on the back of your worship guide. And I'm going to invite you to prayerfully consider who or what you turn to when you're feeling there's nowhere else to turn, when you're alone, can't find God. What do you turn to to feel whole? Who's your golden calf? Take that post-it note, and I invite you to write it down. Derek is going to play us some meditation music for us to do this, church. And when you have something written down, I invite you to come forward and meet Betsy. She's our calf this morning. We're going to turn over our golden calves to God and let them go and turn our hearts to Jesus who's there for us at every, every turn. Let go of what you turn to that isn't God when you're alone or scared. Our ushers are ready to help if you don't want to make the trek or you're not able to make the trek up here. I'll move Betsy down. Oh, well, choir may want to do it too, so I'll leave Betsy there. I invite you now, take some time, give yourself this time, and seek out what it is that you turn to, write it on the note, and bring it forward, and let it go, and make room for God to be with you in your heart this morning. Amen.